708 on CJAD. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with my co-host, Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. Josh, happy new year. Nice to see you back. Happy 2013. Hello, and great to be back. And uh, so uh, back Monday nights at 7 here on CJAD, and we kick off the new year with uh, a, a man who... Uh, spent some time in a very warm place, came back with a great idea and a really great product. Uh, Alain Boucher is here from ARB Teak. Welcome, Alain. Thank you. And so, you know, Dan, if I was living in Bali for two <laughs> years, especially considering five years, oh, sorry, Alain, five years, if I was living in Bali for five years, especially considering we're minus 25 this week, there's got to be a reason and a really good one to come back. Certainly, the entrepreneurial spirit is definitely going to show in this. So, Alain... We invite you to kind of just tell the listener at the moment, what is ARB today? What what product do you provide today? Well, ARB is a uh, company which specializes in high-end teak products, uh, more specifically furniture. But we've moved into uh, teak planks, teak wood, teak shower benches, and all kinds of different products uh, that would basically cater to different industries. Um, the garden industry, uh, the bath industry... And, and so forth. Are you, do you wholesale? Do you retail? Is a little bit of both? Yeah, well, we started with the uh, the retail business. We went into retail uh, because we believe that retail brought some money immediately. Um, the wholesale business was really our long-term goal, uh, but the wholesale business takes a long time to, to build. So we figured we'd focus on retail, start getting some money coming in, and then start developing the wholesale business. Now, how did you get started in this business? Have you been involved in, in furniture and, and importing for your entire life, or is this kind of out of the blue? Where did this start? Well, actually, um, I come from a totally different world. I used to automate production lines. So I come from the IT world, um, in the heydays of the IT world, when it was uh, the good times. And then uh, by the time I reached 40 years old, I guess I had a little burnout and I wanted a change of life. I grabbed my family, my kids, and we moved to Indonesia, so to Bali more specifically. And why Bali? Um, we just wanted an escape. At that time, um, I had a friend who was building a hotel, and he asked me to come down to help him build a hotel. And where? so where did tea come from? I mean, I guess this is where you're sourcing your goods, but how did you kind of connect with this material that said, hey, you know what, there's my future? Well, Indonesia is known for its teak, so there's really teak all over the place. And Bali was an extremely warm place to live at. You know, now that I'm saying this today with the cold today, I wish I was there. Uh, but basically, uh, we couldn't. I didn't want to really spend the rest of my life in Bali. So we wanted to come back, but we didn't really want to get into the corporate world. So we figured uh, we'd start, you know, importing a container and see where it goes from there. I actually had to Google what teak was. I didn't know what it was. Can you tell us a bit about this product and, and where it comes from? Yeah, teak is a, is an exotic wood. Uh, people think it's a hard wood. It's actually a, a very dense wood, and what gives it its density is the actual oil content within the teak. Uh, this oil contact content allows the teak to be um, to be waterproof, if I can use that term, and basically gives it uh, longevity. So the the teak combined with its oil embedded in the teak, which is a, it's it's naturally in the teak, what allows it to last uh, a long time. Did you know there was going to be a demand for it here? Was there already a market for it in Canada when you were looking? Yeah, there was. There's. Uh, there's been a market for teak. Teak actually got a um, uh, a bad word over the years. Uh, there's there's different kinds of teak or different grades of teak. So the the teak that's closer to the uh, the actual bark 
is called the sapwood, and that's a, a young teak that doesn't have the old content that the middle piece of the tree would have. So, um, so the the market's been been burned, if I can use the the term, over the years from uh, from you know other parties that brought in. Uh, a, a C grade type of teak and basically sold it as a grade A. So a lot of people got misconception of what teak was and uh, we tried to bring the quality of tea back and focusing solely on grade A type of teak. Did you have any uh, any knowledge of this product before you got into it? You, you know, you were in engineering, you were in IT. What the heck did you know about wood, especially teak? Well, I... I'm also a big sailor, so I knew uh, a bit of a, a, a teak and its uh, its longevity and the way it resists to water, um, but I didn't really know much more about teak at, at that specific time. No. And business? Did you? I mean, you obviously you got tired of working for somebody else, so you went to the valley. But you did work for your friend. Why the why the getting into your own business? Well, it was kind of um, if I can almost use the term, it was kind of a, a desperate decision. We. Uh, my, we want to come back to Quebec. We really didn't want to get back into the corporate world per se. So we figured uh, we would try to, to bring something in and, and make something out of it. So it's, it was kind of like a, a, a forced situation in a way so I can support my family. And in the end, it turned into a great business. So I'm quite happy I did that. Now, you have to have a first sale. I mean, did you go out on a limb, buy some teak and say, you know what, build it, they will come? Or did you really, what came first, the customer the product, how did you get that first sale? Well, um, that's a good question. Um, it was we went on a limb. We had uh, no idea if it was going to sell or not. Uh, we just uh, went along and met some suppliers, and we said, "Okay, we'll take a bit of this, a bit of that, and we'll put it in a container, and we'll bring it to Canada, and we'll see where it goes from there." So yeah, we we kind of uh, took a shot in the dark, and uh, in order to get that first sale, we obviously focused on our immediate network of friends, and uh, and that's how the business started. Now, of course, the network of, once you've gone by your network of friends, that's when the the the, the real business concept comes into play, and you got to figure out how to expand that into uh, different markets or different areas. And Dan, that's what's going to bring us to planning and talking about planning, business projections, cash flow, and all that fun stuff that when you're starting out a business, you got to think a little bit ahead sometimes. Our guest is Alain Boucher of ARB Teak on Today's Entrepreneur. 7.18 on Today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller and our guest this evening, Alain Boucher of ARB Teak. And uh, Josh, we're talking about a nice story, living in Bali for many years, uh, getting the idea to, to import this product uh, to Canada. And uh, here we are back in the freezing cold. And Alain uh, would, would not have it any other way. And, you know, we were talking about you know, it's shooting from the hip versus planning ahead. You know, targeting where you want to go versus, you know, trying to hit a, a wide array and say, where is it going to land? Uh, so, Alain, I'm going to turn to you and say, you know, did you really, did you have a plan going out? Did you put some stuff to paper? Was it a little more random? Was it a little more targeted? Tell us a little bit about those beginning steps to get really something on the ground. Well, um, the first container was actually, if I can use the term, a, a shot in the dark. We uh, we just went on a whim, took the products we think we thought we would sell, and uh, and and went that way. These were finished products. Finished product, yes. Once we got the container in Canada and we start selling them, well, that's when we start to get, if we can use the term, historical data. So of course, once you see what you're selling, then you can start analyzing it a bit and 
considering I got a, a degree in statistical math, that's when the the ratios came out and started looking at you know the money we're making on certain items and the size of the items and the place that uh, the the place it took in the container and so forth. So, um, yeah, we had to focus on on what sells. So obviously, once we saw the products going and the ones that sold the fastest, we started focusing on those and 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 made derivative derivatives of those. Products. Did you have a first breakout customer? Was it a bunch of little guys? Was it one big one? How did you how did you really get that those first dollars in? Well, we did get a, a big break initially, and I was through a deal with uh, Canadian Tire. So we had a, a few containers going to Canadian Tire in Ontario, and that basically opened up our uh, Burlington uh, store in, uh, on the QEW in Ontario. Now, today you work with big box and smaller mom-and-pop stores from your wholesale side? Yeah, on the wholesale, we're focusing uh, mostly on boutique, high-end boutique type of shops, uh, the big box, we're uh, staying away. Well, we're not staying away, but we're only making deals when we make the rules is uh, really what we're focusing on. Are you suggesting that some of the big box guys dictate the rules? <laughs> well, when you're uh, a small business, uh, one wrong deal or a big deal, one wrong one could basically put you under fairly quickly. So these guys, they come out with all kinds of rules and regulations, and if you sign the dotted line on those, sometimes they, they, they can make you go bankrupt fairly quickly. And sometimes you learn the lesson the hard way. Yes, you do, and, and um, always remember to fight back if you need to. It's actually worth it. Yes, absolutely, and, and just because the rules are on paper and you've signed, don't hesitate to pick up the phone and, and fight a bit and see what you can get out of it. Now you're now with with the I guess you're starting your own business. You don't have the full experience in setting credit terms with your customers or or any of the processes. Did you did you learn that along the way? Did you always you have a little bit of background in in dealing with customers and and suppliers for that? Yeah, I've been in sales all my life. So with respect to dealing with uh, with customers and corporate customers, that that was fairly easy. Uh, the main issue in, in starting up the business were really cash flow issues. Um, you know, basically investing your, your personal money into your business and, and finding that money is, is one of the major issues probably most small companies uh, have these days. Now, so you're dealing, you tried to, or you're dealing with a bank at the beginning? How was that experience? Uh, the banks uh, are not your friends, <laughs> if I can use the term. Um, you usually go for private funding, um, immediate family mostly. And then uh, once you start to get the numbers and starting to see a bit of profit on your bottom lines, you can, you can start approaching the banks. Uh, but the small banks, uh, the, the, the banks with the small businesses are basically focused on their ratios, uh, they basically uh, uh, analyze your, your financials and, and come out with basically if they can give you some money or not. But um, when you're a small business and, and you're not making that much money, it's they're usually very difficult to work with. And I think what I'm saying, Dan, is, is so true. You're really, when you're going to talk to a bank, you got to be armed. you got to be armed with your process, with your people, with uh, with whatever skills you have, your marketing, your product. Yeah, I mean, a, really, really a full business plan. But what if you if you listen to what Alan is saying? You know what you got to be armed with. You got to be armed with profit, mm-hmm. because banks aren't necessarily funding losses. They're funding good stories, but good stories that they know they can make some money with. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about cash flow and, and even more importantly, inventory management as you go and grow and bring products from overseas. Alain Boucher is our guest of ARB Teak on today's Entrepreneur Seven Twenty Three.
7.25 on today's Entrepreneur. Our guest is Alain Boucher of ARB Teak, and we're talking about doing business uh, with Teak products in Indonesia. And Alain, uh, how is doing business in, in a country that uh, in, in recent years has been uh, unstable sometimes politically? Well, Indonesia is a, is a special place, a beautiful country, uh, I might add. Uh, however, there is a, a big language barrier, which is uh, one, one thing we have to get over with. Um, the other aspect is to find um, um, a good Indonesian businessman that actually believed in, in a long-term relationship with a potential client. Uh, that's been a, a very difficult step for us to find uh, someone reliable that gives you a steady uh, quality product all the time. It's something very difficult to achieve, especially when you're talking in a hardwood, solid type of product. So um, yeah, we've we've gone from really bad suppliers to good suppliers and, and everything in between. We've had suppliers that gave us good wood but bad hardware, uh, suppliers that gave us good hardware, bad wood, and, you know, to... How do you, how do you vet them out? I mean, do you test them with a, a little bit... A small order at a time is it really word of mouth uh, you know and especially when you're first starting out with getting to know the product yourself yeah the the uh, the testing is is again a difficult process out there because uh, usually they they always give you a beautiful product when when you ask him a prototype or a test it always comes out beautiful it's when you get into the volumes that uh, that you run into problems so that gets, in, gets into the quality control and the fact that we're not there anymore to check the product. That's another issue that we need to take care of. So making sure someone's over there to, mm -hmm. to check the product. That's, so that you, was my next question. Do, do you go there often now? Uh, well, we're there once a year, if not twice a year. But um, uh, we have people over there doing the quality check for us now. Okay. Yeah. It's important to have people on the ground. Especially out in Indonesia, you need your, your allies, people on your side that are going to kind of take care of you. So, uh, yeah, you have to keep people on the payroll over there somehow is it all i mean because of the specialized product and the high-end product is indonesia the place have you done business elsewhere in the world or is this really the location for your product well with respect to teak uh, to me indonesia is the the place and really the only place for the simple reason that uh, because of the dutch colonies 300 years ago they the, that's when the plantations were actually created so they the dutch used to build their ships out of indonesia so the plantations are 300 years old uh, so you know you're going to get a, you know a 30-year-old plus tree when they when they cut it down. So quality is an important aspect for you. Are you is that something that you started from day one? You needed the highest quality. Is that something you kind of learned over the years? That said, you know what? If I want to differentiate myself, I've got to be at this level. Yeah, we we went to all different grades at the beginning to cater to the Canadian Tires and the WalMarts and 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 those other kind of brands. Uh, however, with the recession, with what was happening in, in China, and, and you know, people just got fed up of a, of, of, of a bad quality product. So we decided to take the route of a high quality product and to stick, to stick in, that, uh, in that vertical. It's been difficult because obviously high quality, high price, and that's the toughest thing we've had to, um, to, to conquer with our customers is to, to convince them that paying a bit more will make it worth your while. It's really about educating your customer. It's saying, this is what you're getting. This is the bang for the buck that you're getting. Yeah. Is that something that you've had to emphasize more and more throughout the years to ensure that they understand the product? The the whole uh, the whole teak industry has been undereducated, and I think the word educated is a good one. Um, we have to educate practically every customer that comes into the store and tell them 
why teak versus metal versus plastic for the outdoor? Uh, why is teak going to give you longevity? Why is teak going to last you a lifetime? And, and there's reasons for that, and these are points that we need to educate people, and that's why we believe that with respect to garden furniture, only a teak specialist can actually sell teak garden furniture. It's that specialized. And, you know, you find, Dan, we, we hear companies that have come on that have a lot of unique products, a lot of unique services, and it takes that extra effort, that extra energy to become successful is to educate your ultimate customer base is say, hey, you know what? You don't know about this, but this is the next best thing since sliced bread. <clears throat> and not everybody recognizes that. They think, you know what? I'll throw it out there and everybody will know. You'll go online and people will figure it out. But the energy and effort and recognition that entrepreneurs have to have to make sure their customers know that they're getting the right product is a huge effort. And I think that's a very interesting part of the story. So maybe we'll talk marketing on the other side. Uh, how exactly do you educate the, the, the consumer and get them to appreciate a product that uh, they may not have heard of, which I, I didn't hear, hear of it. So uh, we'll talk about that with Alain Boucher of ARB Teak. 734, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. And our guest this evening is Alain Boucher of ARB Teak. And uh, Josh and I, well, I lived in Bali for, uh, for not ba uh, was, no, Bali. Ba it was Bali, yeah. It's, Bali. Uh, we're jealous. We're just jealous. We're, we're, we're very jealous. Know. The cold is getting to my brain, and uh, I wish I could go off to Bali right now. Uh, but Alain came back and came back with a product idea, and that is, of course, teak furniture. Um, marketing the, the furniture is the next challenge, right? To sort of convince people that it's worth the money, uh, to educate them as to what it is. I didn't know what it was. I had to Google it. Your furniture is, is beautiful, by the way. Alain. How, do you, how do you make that communication uh, to the consumers to, to help them discover something they didn't know anything about? Well, that's a good question. Uh, initially, it was very difficult to actually, uh, uh, you know, find the right customer to get into your store. Uh, we obviously focused on the garden area initially, and and through springtime, uh, started the traditional advertising, uh, such as uh, you know newspapers, magazines, and and so forth, even radio. Um, but we concluded that um, you know all those old traditional ways of, of doing marketing wasn't really paying off for us. Or not only that, we had a very difficult time in in quantifying the um, uh, the actual value of doing it. So we've we've really moved into the IT side of things. And um, sometimes I tell a lot of people we're an IT company selling teak. Really is what we are. And uh, we're, we're experts in Google. We have uh, uh, about six or seven different websites up and running right now. Uh, we're famous in uh, our AdWords as well. Um, and we're really trying to conquer um, the Internet um, um, with our product. And that's how we're trying to get the most of our, of our marketing leads. Is that really, I mean, you're using your, your IT background to try and push this forward. Is this, is this all you? Did you bring in uh, outside experts as well? Initially, we, we did it all internally, my wife and I. Uh, we did our websites. Uh, we started doing our own Google uh, AdWord campaigns uh, through the help of friends that had some knowledge in it. Um, and, but we, we knew right from the beginning that, that you know, we needed a catalog and to print, to physically print a catalog was very expensive. So we went the, the, the website route, and that's really our catalog. Uh, we're one of the only companies on ARBTeak.com that actually has the pricing of our products there, mm -hmm. uh, contrary to most other players in this in this industry. So we're we're upfront with our pricing, and um, 
and and we do a lot of uh, email communications and so forth. Now you talked about this very important word earlier that not everybody, I guess, uh, adheres to when you're talking marketing. You're called measurement, measuring your marketing efforts. Is that something that you really try and cling to? And if something's not working, you tweak it, you move it, you uh, whatever you have to do to try and go in a slightly different direction. Constantly, uh, we're constantly uh, uh, focusing our marketing dollars in, in, in areas that are going to pay back and in areas where we can actually quantify the payback. So we, um, we focus on, on email campaigns and, and, and opt-in campaigns and how many people actually come back and talk to us about the campaign. Um, we track people that come in and find out where they, where they found us from mm-hmm. and so forth. To us, those are uh, valuable information, extremely valuable information that we're constantly refeeding the machine. Now, let's stick on the IT topic. You have an IT background. What else has technology helped you with in running your business? Well, the, the, um, um, the whole paradigm shift of the traditional marketing into the digital marketing world is one. Uh, we're, we're fully cloud-based with respect to our uh, websites and, and um, our POS system and our inventory system. Uh, this allows us to basically uh, um, handle orders from anywhere in the world, which is, as was key to the success of our business. We didn't know if we were going to live in Bali, if we were going to live in Montreal. However, no matter where we were, we can actually run the business from, from anywhere. Not customers anywhere in the world. With you being anywhere in the world, you can run the business. Exactly. So our customers were focusing Quebec and Ontario. We're starting to move into the U.S., but in terms of, of running the business, we can we can pack up our office and, and move to the other side of the planet tomorrow, and, and nobody would see the difference. And when you're talking about these type of management information systems, I mean, access to information is huge. Uh, reacting uh, at, a, at a moment's notice, being proactive, I mean, you, you keep your finger on the pulse, effectively, wherever you are. Constantly. It's, it's, it's the key. Uh, um, you know, we, we talked about recessions. We talked about uh, uh, different things that have happened in the past. Uh, if you don't have your finger on the pulse, uh, as soon as something uh, hits you sideways, you can, you can, it can deviate your path and, and can literally put you bankrupt fairly quickly. Now, some entrepreneurs, I mean, have heard this many times where, you know, they're just not comfortable with the IT world. They're, they're not comfortable in using the computer. But is it difficult to set up? I mean, was it easy for you to, to set up this this management information system where you really could monitor it from anywhere the 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 tools are out there and it's actually taking the time to set them up is what you need to do as far as i'm concerned it's a must for all businesses today you don't have to be in retail or wholesale or or manufacturing or engineering i think all businesses need to have a serious look at the uh, the it side of uh, of marketing absolutely that's interesting because you said you're you're primarily um, an IT business over anything else. Uh, I mean, how do entrepreneurs sort of adapt to the fact that IT and a good website becomes really an essential part of any business? Well, by, by keeping an open mind, really. Um, um, I think any entrepreneur, the general aspect of an entrepreneur is someone that has an open mind that takes feedback from all kinds of people. And I think it's, it's if if you as an entrepreneur don't have that knowledge, you should go out there and, and find someone that does and, and look into it, at least look into it, because I feel it's a key key aspect mm-hmm. of a successful business today. And taking a look at your website, something that struck me is that it's it's clean, and there's not a lot of clutter there, and it's also very honest. You mentioned the pricing. Um, are you, are you, do you list all your prices all the time, or do you, does it really depend on... 
on the, yeah, on the well, product. We're, we're trying to tell people that uh, two things is, is that's the price for one. And, and two, it's, it's a quality product and, and there's no surprises. So if the customer sees the price, know what, knows what to expect when they come into our store. So there's no more surprises. Um, and generally, you know, when someone comes into the store, they've, they've seen our product, they've selected the product and uh, they're ready to go. The other thing that strikes me, Dan, when you're looking on the website, there's quite a number of different products, quite a lot of SKUs. Inventory management. How did you deal with inventory management over the growth years and today? Well, it's uh, inventory management was very difficult in, in this business for the simple reason it takes about four months to get the product here. Uh, so from the min minute you've ordered it to the minute it arrives in Canada, it's, it's anywhere between four to six months. So again, another shot in the dark. We have to build our inventory before the season even starts. So it's been very difficult to guesstimate um, you know, what we're potentially going to sell. Uh, the other thing that we wanted to achieve is to be the supplier of teak in Canada. So we want to make sure we had an inventory, but not only an inventory, but a wide variety of different products in teak. So uh, the concept in, in our store is, you know, you pick your table, you pick your chairs, and, and you build the set the way you want it, contrary to most places where you come in and this is the chair, this is the set, and that's what you get for that price. So you sit with a lot of inventory. What happens when a recession hits? Well, uh, we did this while there was a recession, so we're hoping there's not going to be another one. <laughs> <laughs> not for some time now. Yeah, hopefully. Let's hope, to, hope it won't. But uh, it's actually worked because the, the product doesn't rot and it's got a long shelf life. And, and the beauty about it is it doesn't really change style on a year-to-year -year basis. So uh, we're lucky for that. And, and what we don't sell one year, we just keep it and we'll sell it the next year. We, we tend to do that very well. Now, we're, we're really coming closely in, and I have so many questions, but... I, I know that you have locations in both Ontario and Quebec. And one question I'm actually dying to ask is the the ease of doing business in Ontario versus Quebec. What works kind of better there versus here and vice versa? Well, la, la langue française is always a, an additional issue that we need to deal with in Quebec. So um, obviously your website in Ontario will work in, in the rest of Canada and also will work in the U.S. However, you have to cater to the Quebec market as well. So we were, we actually developed a French website as well for the Quebec uh, Quebec market. The the um, the issue of two locations is very difficult. Uh, difficult on me. Difficult on my wife. Difficult on my kids. Uh, we need to be in both places at the same time. Uh, obviously, when the boss is not there, uh, HR issues come into play. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we, we have a hard time with our, our showrooms in, in Ontario because there's, there's really nobody that really cares that's there to run them. So that's the difficult part. But Montreal is obviously going really well because we're putting more time and effort in the Montreal location. And physical presence of any entrepreneur is huge. You know, people underestimate the the owner's presence in a business you know not just from a keeping your eye out for what's going right and what's going wrong but just the the inspirational side the motivation side the vision side that that everybody just or many people underestimate and uh, you raise human resources and uh, that's an important issue that's uh, that's coming up 
So we'll talk about HR issues. Uh, and uh, of course, Alain Boucher is here from ARB Teak. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD. Coming up to 749 on Today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Our guests uh, this evening, we have from ARB Teak, Alain Boucher, and we bring in Micheline Mayette as well, HR specialist with Fuller Landau. And we're going to talk about, uh, Josh, some, uh, some New Year's resolutions when it comes to human resources. Everybody, you know, wants to lose weight or stop smoking or cut down their drinking. I don't know why. Uh, but certainly there's human resource aspect to every business. And and I think, you know, we'll turn to Michelin and say, what do you think the, the top New Year's HR resolution would be for many businesses that you encounter? I think it should be timely feedback I shall give. <laughs> I find one of the biggest problems in companies, all from an HR perspective, is that they tend to not give feedback, at least on a timely basis, to their staff, um, which is unfortunate. And I'm talking good feedback, bad feedback, you know, the good and the bad. Um, is it, yeah. does it, does it need to be formal? Is it informal? Do both work? Should you have a certain timing for one versus another? What, you know, is there a method? Is there a right way, a wrong way? I'd say both informal and formal are fine, but you do need to have some formal in there. Like I, I strongly believe, obviously, uh, you know, I work in HR, so I strongly believe in evaluating performance um, throughout the year. But I really think that, you know, to keep it simple, you can give informal feedback to an employee. The only time you have to be really careful is when you're, you know, giving negative feedback. Sometimes it's you want to do this in a formal way that's documented because if ever it could lead to a disciplinary measures or termination of employment later, then you want to make sure you have it written down in the file. Do you, are you supposed to dance around the topic? Are you supposed to kind of have the person that you're talking to, their psyche in mind and saying, I better approach it this way versus that way. I can be direct with this person, but I better dance around the topic with this person. Do you really have to tailor how you give your feedback? I mean, I think there's some they call it emotional intelligence that's involved, you know, in, in, you know, knowing who your audience is and depending on what the issue is and that type of thing. I mean, there's one thing, if you have an employee who's late every morning because his wife's in the hospital, then you're not going to approach it the same way as, uh, as you know, in, in other situations, which are, yeah, which you might want to deal with a little bit uh, heavy handed. Alain, are you, you know, you, 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 you've been running your business for a while. You have a few staff. I, I'm sure there's some feedback you give along the way. Could be informal throughout the year. Is that something that you attach yourself to? Is that would be that would that be a good resolution uh for you to to take on this twenty thirteen? Well one of my resolutions this year is to um have a very clear job description when I hire someone. Have a very clear reporting uh mechanisms for this person to report and most of all, if there is an HR issue with a given staff, to 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 fix it right away. Like to to not let it sit. If there's a staff that's unhappy with anything, solve it right away and don't let it stand for days or weeks or so forth. Because that's when the 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 morale in the company can can go down. Mm -hmm. You know, you raise it. You raise an interesting point about job descriptions. And Michelin, when we're talking about a more say formal evaluation. Do you link the job description to the evaluation directly? Usually, I does, but I do. Sorry, but it it depends so much on the on the type of company too, and the philosophy of the company, and so on. Um, I do think it's important to have a clear definition of not only what people do, but what the expectations are for them during the year. 
Um, one of the reasons I say feedback is so important is a lot of companies tend to have the no news is good news philosophy, even for their strong performers, and just assume that if I'm not saying anything, it's because they're doing a good job and they should know that. But but people want to know that they're doing a good job or if they're not being told, sometimes they're not sure. And, you know, it's motivating also to get the pat on the back every once in a while. And I, and I think there's probably the different generations have different expectations of certain feedback as well. I think um, different generations, people talk a lot about the new generation. I think they do tend to request feedback more openly than others other generations have in the past but i don't think it's that it wouldn't have been appreciated by past generations and what about performance reviews uh is it good for all companies or just uh, looking at the medium and large size businesses even smaller companies can evaluate performance again it doesn't have to be a 10 page long form it could be sitting down with people um, once a year to kind of go over their job description, uh, what's the expectation for the next year, how have they been doing, and so on. It doesn't have to be something uh, really long and, and arduous. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we come back, Josh, more about HR and also Alain Boucher's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. 7.55 on today's entrepreneur are guests Alain Boucher of ARB Teak and Michel Mayette, HR specialist at Fuller Landau, and uh, talking some HR issues, Josh. And we were exploring, we were talking and touching upon generations, generations and feedback. Now, Micheline, do you, do you see differences in the various generations and how much feedback they want? You know, is, is silence a good thing for some generations, whereas maybe the younger generations might say, you know what, I need to hear it all the time. I want transparency. I want to know, I want to, I want to know exactly where I stand at almost every single moment. What do you see as far as the different generations and feedback? Yeah, I'd say definitely the new generation, um, the big difference is that they demand the feedback, like they want to have it on a regular basis. And, you know, before you asked me whether companies should be doing a formal review at least once a year, I said, yes, in an ideal situation, they should be getting feedback throughout the year. Now, I usually recommend that companies do set a formal process because what tends to happen is employees only get their feedback at that one time a year. So at least they get it once and not never. Um, but I think that's part of you know the new culture is to want to get feedback often, and it's more useful to get feedback when it happens than to wait till next October to find out that you did something good or bad in April. So if you want to rectify yeah. it right away, absolutely. Exactly. So I think giving timely feedback is a good practice for all companies. Now, realistically, it's it's more difficult sometimes to do it that way. There is software companies can can purchase also, which. They can even track all the feedback online and stuff like that on a regular basis, which can help companies do that. Uh, yeah. And coming back to the being direct or dancing around the topic, what works or does it really is it really case by case? I think everybody has their own style when it comes to it. Personally, my style is to be more direct about it. Um, I find when you try to beat around the bush, it's not taken as seriously as when you kind of give it up front. Um, I'm not saying you have to be mean in how you do it, you know, always respectful and, and explain what it is that you mean. But I find the less that you get to the point, the less people will get the point. Do you ever have, uh, just as a one last question, entrepreneurs that want to try and get feedback from their human resources, from their employees and their team? Definitely. One thing I see a lot is, um, you know, there'll be issues in the company, it could be turnover or, you know, Mainly turnover, I'd say, is one of the bigger problems. Maybe they can sense that there's some unhappiness, and they'll say, I don't understand, I went to ask people, are you happy? And they said yes, you know. 
But it's not always easy to tell the owner of the company or your or your boss if you're not happy. So I think it's always useful to have some anonymous ways to get feedback. If you don't have an HR person who's maybe a bit more impartial, um, it could be even something as simple as a suggestion box or do an employee survey a couple of times a year, a little survey, something like that, uh, to have an outlet for comments. Certainly a lot of challenges and, uh, and many areas that entrepreneurs sometimes have to tread lightly and sometimes just got to hit the nail right on. Uh, and as we and as we we look to Alain Boucher in the final moments, uh, I turn to Alain and I say, "What would be uh, the one piece of advice you would give to today's entrepreneur?" Well, I um, I guess the best advice I can tell anybody who's trying to do a startup is, if if you believe in your product, you've got the right product at uh, the right price, and you're at the right place, um, uh, stick with it. Just believe in your product. Keep pushing it and, and give it time. Nothing happens quick and um, you need a bit of luck in life and uh, all that combined with, with patience will probably make you succeed in the long run. Excellent. And Dan, the, the one takeaway I'll, I'll get from this show and Alain's words of wisdom is keep your finger on the pulse. You know, whether it's an MIS system, whether it's manual, whatever it may be, wherever you are in the world, know what's going on in your business at all moments. Know where your sales are and your receivables and who you owe money to. Know the important things because that's going to that's what's going to keep you on the right track from day to day and able to plan properly going forward. Thanks very much, Josh. Uh, thanks to Alain Boucher of ARB Teak and uh, as well, Michin Mayette, HR specialist with Fuller Landau. Uh, don't forget, you can reach Fuller Landau during business hours at 514-875-2865 or visit www.flmontreal.com. And Josh, we're back uh, next Monday night. Uh, what's on the show next week? Mummieslist.com. Mummieslist.com. This is a business just for the moms of the world. All right. So uh, more with uh, with Josh and everyone, and uh, uh, coming up after in just a few moments, the eight PM news on CJAD.